Uh, friends, today uh, we're going to look at a very significant day in the life of God's church. Uh, God's church, whether at NHA or elsewhere, usually has quite significant days. Even on our bulletin, January the 8th, 2023, is mentioned as the day NHA started. Very significant indeed. Uh, talking about a very significant day in the life of God's church, this particular day was a day foretold uh, to God's people. Yes, admittedly a very long time ago, several hundred years in fact. But this particular day was also told to the apostles by Jesus himself that it would occur in just a few days' time uh, after his ascension. Imagine being told that and being there for that day. And what was this day that God's people had been waiting centuries and centuries for and that the apostles were told was just only days away? It was a day when all of God's people, irrespective of age, sex, position or race, would be filled, would receive, would be baptised with the Holy Spirit. Now the prophet Joel, centuries before, put it like this. In the last days, God will pour out his spirit on all people. And Jesus, just before he went back to his father in heaven, put it like this. John baptised you with water, but in a few days, you will be baptised with the Holy Spirit. And so this is where we pick things up in Acts chapter 2. On your sermon outlines, I'll refer to this part of the sermon as, what a day. And yes, what a day it was. They knew it was coming, but didn't actually specifically know when. They knew that what would happen didn't, but didn't really know what it would actually be like. They knew that all followers of Jesus, yes, all of God's people would now receive the Holy Spirit. Not just a, a selected few, such as God's prophets, God's kings and certain individuals chosen for certain tasks. They knew it was going to be a day that Moses, yes, the great prophet Moses, wanted to see happen. Rather than him be the only one or one of a few people who gave, God gave his spirit to, Numbers 11.29. Yes, this day was brewing. This day was coming. And we had its details read to us by Steve from Acts chapter 2. But this particular day was also the day of Pentecost. What is the day of Pentecost? Well, firstly, the actual word Pentecost is a transliteration of the Greek word Pentecostos, which means 50. It's called this for obvious reasons. Now have a look at this slide, please. I, I hope it's helpful. You see here God's amazing timing of things to not only reveal as to many of his people as possible what he was doing, uh, but also, I believe, show the continuation of his plan of salvation, the transition from the Old Testament to the New Testament, and therefore also the fulfilment of what he had originally promised. Firstly, the Passover. The Passover feast was huge for God's people. It was central to remembering how God had chosen Israel and saved Israel. 
And so it was compulsory, it was compulsory for God's people to be there in Jerusalem for it. It is estimated that in the first century you would, you would normally find about 55,000 people in Jerusalem, but that increased to 200,000 or more at the Passover and spilled over to the occasion of First Fruits, another festival just held after it. And the same thing would happen for Pentecost, as that too was compulsory, was a compulsory celebration for God's people to attend, no matter where they lived. And so likewise, they were occasions, the Passover and Pentecost, when all of God's people came together in Jerusalem. And it was at these specific times, Passover, First Fruits, and Pentecost, that God chose for his son to die, uh, to be the new Passover lamb, for his son to rise from the dead and therefore be the first fruit, offering new life to all who now put their trust in him. And it also was at this time, this time of Pentecost, that God chose for his son to pour out the Holy Spirit in a way that would be noticed by all people, all of his people, and therefore remembered by all of his people because they were there. Yes, the day of Pentecost, also known as the Feast of Harvest, became a much more significant harvest, the harvest of souls. And so 3,000 souls, that's a lot of people, <laughs> were saved that particular Pentecost day. Now only God could do something like that. And I don't mean just save souls. <laughs> I also mean do it all like that. Well, what a day would have been to either witness or be part of it. Imagine if today was that day and it was in this gathering that had happened. And suddenly a, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind, we all know what that is, as Steve reminds us, came from heaven and filled this church at NHA, right where we are sitting, right now. And then what seems like tongues of fire separated and came to rest on each one of us. And all of us are therefore filled with the Holy Spirit and begin to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enables us. And so I might start speaking Afrikaans. Uh, Stephen Smart's always tried to teach me, but I couldn't quite get Afrikaans. <laughs> Someone else might start speaking German. Another French. Another Swahili. Another Japanese, another Chinese, another Dutch. <laughs> it's very significant that people from YWAM, from all the countries around the world, are here today. I didn't orchestrate that. God did. What countries are you from? Put, yell out. Hong Kong. Can you believe that? <laughs> Thank you so much. 
and another Filipino and an, another Russian and another pigeon and uh, another Kiwi. You got any Kiwis here? <laughs> yes, 15 languages are actually mentioned here, representing all the nations under heaven where God's people were at the time living. But had all come together in Jerusalem, God fear us, for Pentecost. Wow, what a day. Well, God certainly would have got everyone's attention by doing this. And although that no doubt was part of his plan to get everyone's attention, the main thing he was doing was letting people know that this new era, where God's people, all of God's people, are indwelt and therefore now aided by his spirit. Interestingly, when most people read this, we focus in on the tongues. Being able to speak in a language that one didn't previously know. And forget what it is that one's tongues are actually doing here. And what is it? Well, they aren't counting from one to ten. <laughs> in another language and saying, wow, look what, what I can now do. <laughs> they weren't all speaking Hebrew or some heavenly language. And saying, now I'm a full-on Christian, look, I can speak in another tongue. No, no, no. Verse 11 tells us what they were doing. Look at it, please. They were declaring the wonders of God in other people's tongues. So that all people, no matter what language you spoke or what nation you had come from, could hear about the wonders of God. I hope you talk about the wonders of God over morning tea, why wham? <laughs> From someone else. And therefore know how special this day is and therefore how wonderful God is. Well, like usual, when God's people declare his praises, when we try to tell others how great he is and what he has done, what happens? Some people say we've lost it. <laughs> And this is what sadly happens here too. Some, not all, made fun of those people and rather than listen, said they've been drinking grog. Verse 13. And this brings us to the next point on your outlines. What a message. And what a message it is. Yes, it certainly was a harvest of souls on that day of Pentecost. 3,000 people were saved from their sins. The point of Pentecost is not about whether or not you can speak in a tongue. The point of Pentecost is to be able to testify about Jesus and in particular to his resurrection. The point of Pentecost is to show all of God's people, whatever language you speak or nation you're from, that the new era of the Spirit has now come. And God's Spirit has power. And the power of that spirit is to witness for Jesus. We can all be his friend now, Julianne. <laughs> to save people. In the context here, the purpose of what happened on this day of Pentecost is for you and for me, for all of God's people, to be able to boldly talk about Jesus. Acts 1.8 He is, after all he is, the absolute wonder of God. He is God's salvation. 
So if you're a follower of Jesus, how are you going talking about Jesus? And if your response is something like, oh, I don't think I could do that, brothers and sisters, you can't. You probably can't. You probably can't. We probably can't. But that is why God pours out his spirit onto all his people so that we can. Yes, if you're a follower of Jesus, how are you going talking about him? This isn't talking about living a life that shows Jesus as important as it is. This is all about living a life that speaks about Jesus. On the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came upon them, they didn't all immediately get down on their knees and start washing each other's feet, (laughs) important as serving is. No. What did they do? They all started talking. And talking about what? Well, I've summed it up by saying Jesus. But what are we specifically told here? Well, in verse 11, as I said, we're told they all started talking about the wonders of God. And then in verses 17 to 18, not in our bulletins, uh, we are told that they were all prophesying. And then basically for the next, how many verses, Steve? 20 verses, <laughs> half of the chapter, uh, Peter the Apostle gives us a full-blown prophecy, you could say, and it's all about Jesus. Now, friends, in the main, it seems here that prophecy is simply speaking about the wonders of God and there's no greater wonder of God to speak about than the wonder of his son. Hence why Peter's message here is all about Jesus. Yes, prophecy, when one really sharpens its pencil, is all about revealing Jesus to people, talking to people about Jesus, as only he can save them from their sins. And we all need saving, as God is holy, holy, holy. Yes, it's fair to say that prophecy involves more than that, but the ultimate point of prophecy, the ultimate point of the spirit, where the rubber hits the road, is to glorify Jesus. John 16, 14. So friends, all of God's people are prophets with a little p. A prophet is basically someone who brings God's message to others. And that's what the Spirit enables us to be and to do. And therefore, we can do it. We can. We must talk about the ultimate wonder of God, Jesus. Well, the message we are to reveal to people is all about Jesus and especially about his resurrection and therefore how he is now the Lord and promised Messiah, Acts 2.36. But how are people to respond? What must people do in response to Jesus? Well, the God-fearing Jews here in Acts 2 ask Peter that very question. And his reply is pretty is a pretty good memory verse to uh, have up your sleeve for our own witnessing and testifying. He tells them in verse thirty eight, 
They need to repent and be baptised in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you, too, will receive the gift of the Spirit. That's it. That's the response. Our greatest need before a holy and just God is that we need forgiving. And because Jesus lived a perfect life, died an awful death, but rose from the grave, forgiveness is now possible. And so the right response, as Peter the Apostle tells his audience, is therefore to repent of your sins, turn away from them, turn to Jesus and be baptised, symbolising that you have. This is for everyone, including children. And you will be forgiven once and for all. You'll also receive another gift, the gift of the Holy Spirit, to enable us to also spread such good news, boldly speaking about the wonders of God. Yes, talking about sharpening pencils uh, is a skill. <laughs> when you act, you know what a pencil is? <laughs> When you actually sharpen the pencil concerning the message of Jesus, it's all about the forgiveness of your sins. And the gift of the Spirit helps us to spread the good news to others that they too can now have their sins forgiven. That's the message we must convey. At this level, the message is not, you know, invite Jesus into your heart and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Actually, nowhere in the Bible does it say that. The message concerns a much greater need than that. You and I need forgiving. God is that holy. God is that just. And he sent Jesus because he is also a God of love. What a day, what a message, and finally, what a people. <laughs> When one encounters Jesus and one responds to him rightly, one will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And such encountering of Jesus and such indwelling the Holy Spirit resulted in a very different lifestyle for God's people. Hence why I've called this section, What a People? Please look at verses 42 to 47. They're also on your bulletin. And they're part of my favourite verses too, Dan. Verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone is filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Wow. <laughs> what a people. I'd like to be part of that church. <laughs> well, we will spend the next few weeks unpacking these very, very verses. As a result of now knowing Jesus and experiencing the Holy Spirit in their lives, they were absolutely, in a word, Devoted. Yes, absolutely devoted, both to God and to one another. And the time they spent with them in having 
How many are you at YWAM? Eight. Eight of you. Stay at Barry's place. They were absolutely devoted to one another in what they did for him, in what they did for one another. Is that us? Is that me? <laughs> are we absolutely devoted to God and to one another? There's a good reason why daily devotions are called devotions. More about that in the notices. What I observe of God's people in Cairns, this is just true of Cairns, <laughs> including he, anyway, work things out, uh, even from the Shire, Miranda. <laughs> from what I observe of God's people in Cairns, including people here at NHA and therefore me, we aren't always like this. And I think one of the reasons why was mentioned earlier in the chapter. And it's something that we might not have realised or have simply fallen into the temptation it brings. And what is it that I think, I think, hinders one's right response to Jesus and the indwelling of his spirit and therefore one's devotion to God and to his people? I think it's this. And it is what Peter also said in his message, something we might have overlooked. And it's found in verse 40. With many other words, he, that is Peter, warned them. And he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Yes, save yourselves not just from your own personal sins, but also from the corrupt generation in which you live. Wow. You might have missed that point, but we haven't now. <laughs> Friends, nothing much has changed today. If anything is very quickly showing, it's true colours. And I, don't, I certainly don't need to provide details to show you that our generation is not that different. Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Hmm. Do you know how Jesus described the generation which needed saving, <laughs> when he walked on this planet? I looked it up. He said it is wicked. He said it's adulterous, un uh, condemned, unbelieving and perverse. He doesn't mince his words. And elsewhere in the New Testament we are told, it is crooked and depraved. Is that how we see the generation in which we live today? That I was once part of? We should and we need to. And so I think the reason we are not like the believers we read about here in Acts 2 is not that we haven't encountered Jesus. We have. It's not that we haven't the Holy Spirit in us. We all do. All believers do. But it's that we haven't seen the generation, perhaps, in which we live, in the right light. And so sort of have one foot still in it. And therefore we generally aren't as devoted to God and to one another and aren't telling 
others about Jesus as we should. Instead, we tend to be like the generation in which we now live. A generation accepting all faiths and all cultures, rather than living in the kingdom of God in which we now belong. Yes, save yourselves from this corrupt, wicked, adulterous, condemned, unbelieving, perverse, crooked and depraved generation. Got the idea? (laughs) It's not nice. And we struggle. And deep down, I think we struggle because we don't believe it's that bad. In saying that, I, I guess more and more of us are watching Sky News. I'm guessing more and more of us are homeschooling. But as I said, we might not see it as bad as it really is. And so deep down, we might still like it, behave like it, in ways that we shouldn't. Friends, the follower of Jesus cannot have a foot in both camps. And it's when we do that, that Acts uh, Acts 2, 42 to 47, will always remain a dream and never be a reality. Well, still my prayer, and has been ever since, it's been my prayer, Dan, ever since I came to Cairns in 2000, that what we read here does become a reality, including the Lord adding to our number daily those who are being saved. And to that reality, to God be the glory, and all of God's people said, Amen. Thank you all. Thanks, Dan.